Welcome to What She Said. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. International Women's Day is just around the corner, but here at What She Said, every day is Women's Day. So as per usual, I'm just going to keep on keeping on as I share the best and brightest voices from across the country with you. Here's what's coming up this week. Metastatic breast cancer, or MBC for short, remains an incurable disease in need of further research and support. Dr. Mita Mana is a medical oncologist at the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency and joins me to share information all women need to hear about MBC. Canadian singer-songwriter Jessica Pearson and her band were recently trapped on a plane for 10 hours in 115 km an hour winds in Iceland. At the request of the captain, crew, and passengers, they were asked to play music to help keep spirits up. Everyone on the plane had a great time, but social media is a cruel place and video of the event went viral with a false narrative that saw Jessica being viciously attacked in the comments section. Oh, we're going to set the story straight on this one, so stick around. Anne Brody is in with new entertainment and we take a look at The Quiet Girl, which features a superbly nuanced performance from 11-year-old Catherine Clinch. We also look at the confessions of Franny Langton, a new drama mystery series set in 1825 that pushes the envelope in its depictions of society, the British slave trade, and its resounding impact then and now. Brogan Ingram has amassed a whopping 5.2 million followers on TikTok, sharing transformative cleaning she performs for people in need. Brogan has become a leading voice in exploring the correlation between mental health and cleanliness and joins me today to share what inspires her to help so many. Paulette Sr., CEO of the Canadian Women's Foundation, joins me to discuss the unique discrimination and systemic barriers that impact Black women and girls in Canada. And finally, Jennifer Slay stops in to chat about All Women Lead, a community created with the intention of becoming a source of support for women in all areas of leadership. Jen shares details on upcoming workshops, including one being held on March 6th, and how this community helps women navigate changing circumstances. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now. Advocating for one's health is important for everyone, but it is especially important for women because of our unique health challenges. One such challenge is metastatic breast cancer, MBC, which remains an incurable disease in need of further research and support. Dr. Mita Mana is a medical oncologist at the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency and joins me now to share information you need to know about MBC. Welcome to What She Said, Dr. Mana. Thank you, Candice. Pleasure to join you today. So can you start by explaining to me what metastatic breast cancer is and how it differs from other types of breast cancer? Absolutely. That's a really good question to start with. So I think it's important to understand that breast cancer in general is one of the most common cancers women in North America would be diagnosed with. About 30,000 women each year would have a, receive a diagnosis of breast cancer, but only about 5% may have a diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer. And the difference with metastatic breast cancer versus other stages of breast cancer is the fact that the cancer has spread beyond the breast and the lymph node area. So it could have spread to other areas in the body. For example, the liver, the lungs, 
the bone, and rarely the brain as well. So that's the difference between metastatic breast cancer and early stage breast cancer. It's also important to know that when we're dealing with metastatic breast cancer, it's often an incurable setting as well. So I just want to make sure that I'm understanding this. It starts in the breasts and spreads elsewhere. It didn't it didn't start somewhere else and go to the breast, right? Correct. Absolutely. So the origin of site is in the breast, and then it will spread often moving, migrating towards the lymph node, and then can spread to other areas of the body. So if it spreads to the bone, for example, often people might mistakenly call it bone cancer, but it's still breast cancer that is now involving the bones. So that's important to understand. Okay, so we've we've established that it most most times it's incurable. Um, so can you discuss some of the advancements that in that's happened in treatment over recent years? Absolutely. So in the world of oncology, it is rapidly evolving. And we've definitely seen a lot of advancements in the clinical setting, as well as through clinical trials. There have been several new advancements in the world of breast cancer. Often people think that the only type of treatment that's available is chemotherapy. But when it comes to other treatments, we now have the use of certain targeted therapies that specifically target the cell and kill it off based on the cell cycle. We have other therapies that are activating our immune system, such as immunotherapy. And we also have other novel agents that are coming down the pipeline where they target specific receptors and essentially deliver a payload that could kill off those cancer cells. And those are called antibody drug conjugates. So we have seen a development of multiple agents over the past decade in the world of breast cancer where these agents can be tailored to each patient appropriately. And patients are receiving appropriate treatment they're maybe living longer with metastatic breast cancer and with a better quality of life. Now, I've had uh, uh, a few people on to talk about metastatic breast cancer over the years. So I feel like I'm pretty aware uh, of it. But why do you think there's a general unawareness uh, amongst women on this specific uh, type of breast cancer? Absolutely. And I think there's been a lot of awareness when it comes to breast cancer in general. Like I said, it's a very common cancer amongst women. And often you might know a loved one, a friend or a colleague, someone who has been affected with breast cancer. But as I mentioned, majority of the time it is early stage breast cancer and metastatic breast cancer is only a small subset. And often this is not spoken about or, or, or talked about. And a lot of patients might feel isolated and there might not be a lot of awareness around metastatic breast cancer. So I think it is important to have these conversations, bring awareness to the general public so people are you know, more readily able to have these conversations and, and learn about metastatic breast cancer and, and enter that unknown area. We talk about advocating for our health a lot. We say those words, but what does that mean? What does that look like? That's a really good question. So what that means is really being involved in your in your health and treatments that you are receiving. And it's important, for example, let's say a, a patient notices a lump or something new that's out of the ordinary. It's important to recognize that this is this is not you know normal, um, and and don't be afraid to bring it to the attention of your healthcare. 
providers, whether it's your family doctor or your oncologist. So important to really um, mention, you know, something that might be new or something that's causing you concern. And the other important thing is also being able to recognize what's important to you. What are your goals and your wishes when it comes to treatment and treatments received? Often some people might sit in the doctor's office and, and say, you know, I'll be happy to receive any treatment that you recommend. But at the same time, it's also important to explore what are the best options for me and what fits with my personal values. And so Remember, it's always a shared decision making between the patient and their their treatment team. But ultimately, the patient is the center of of all management. And so really, you are the you as a patient is the is the driver and and moving things forward in terms of what what fits with your values. So I imagine as a woman, though, being diagnosed with MBC, that must be a very frightening time. And we typically we do defer to our doctors and the experts. So there might be some fear in sort of pushing back on on the advice. What would you say to that? Absolutely. And I think any diagnosis of cancer, and especially with metastatic breast cancer, is life-changing. It's life-altering, right? And ultimately, you know, us as a healthcare providers want to give the, the best options, you know, tailored to each individual based on the cancer itself and the biology and the details, because not all breast cancer is the same, but also taking into consideration socioeconomic factors as well, right? So when you're dealing with, let's say, uh, a woman who might be, you know, in their 30s or 40s and, 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 you know, factoring the fact that they might have children or they're still actively working, or, you know, uh, an elderly um, woman who might be in her 80s and might not have as many supports in place. Um, so it's important to really look at the patient as a whole to be able to provide appropriate treatment. You know, my role is not just to provide a, a menu of options and say, okay, these are the possible options now you choose, right? We have to be able to appropriately select what options would be best for each individual based on the evidence that's out there and also taking into those factors for each individual patient as I described. So all, for all the women who are listening right now or will listen down the road to this interview, what is the key thing you want them to walk away knowing right now? I think it's important to understand that, you know, metastatic breast cancer is an entity and it is life changing. But the importance to, to know is that there have been several advances that have come, you know, in our oncology world in the treatment for metastatic breast cancer. And it's important to understand that there are treatment options that exist and that patients are living a lot longer with a better quality of life with metastatic breast cancer. And it's important to talk to your healthcare team about appropriate options that are available and express what your values are as well so that they align appropriately. So I think it's important to know that, you know, chemotherapy is not just options, but there are several um, treatment options that are out there. Always inquire about potential clinical trials that might be open in your center and what other support groups might be also available as well uh, so that you can be connected uh, with others who are going through the same journey as well. All right, excellent. Well, if people want to know more uh, about this for either themselves or somebody they love, where can they find out more information? So there are a lot of good reputable resources online. I do encourage you to check out mbctime.ca. You can also find my personal 
site on LinkedIn at Dr. Mita Mana. I do hope to have more social media resources available in the future. So please do stay tuned for that. And that will be associated with my LinkedIn profile. Okay, wonderful. Dr. Mana, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Candice. More of What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up. And now, back to What She Said. Here's Candace Sampson. Canadian singer-songwriter Jessica Pearson made headlines recently after her impromptu performance for stranded passengers on an Icelandic airline plane during a snowstorm went viral on social media. However, the viral video led to a whirlwind of misinformation and online bullying. Today, Jessica is here to talk about the incident and the importance of fact-checking and standing up against online bullying. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really feel for you with this story. As I said to you, uh, just before we started this interview, I said there's that expression, you know, a lie will travel around the globe before the truth can have its shoes tied up. And that seems to be what happened here. So can you share with us um, from your perspective what really happened on that day? Of course. So we had taken a flight. Uh, we were traveling. I was traveling with my band to Ireland and we had a layover about an hour and a half in Iceland. But when we landed in Iceland, uh, the winds were 115 kilometers an hour. And so uh, it was just unsafe for anyone to get off. Uh, the pilot let everyone know. And about six hours in to sitting on the tarmac, we were still there. And the pilot had uh, was coming up and down the aisles, just answering any questions that people were having. Uh, and when he got to us, he said, are you the musicians who were on the plane? And, and I was like, yes, we are. And he's like, why aren't you playing music yet? <laughs> and uh, that's all we needed. And so um, we kind of got our instruments out. I started by just saying, hey, this is such a stressful a situation we're in. If anyone wants us to stop, let us know. But we're just here to try and help make the time go by faster. And so we started playing songs. We started with an original, which uh, the pilot had actually uh, recorded a video of. And then we started taking requests and uh, playing songs that the passengers were requesting to try and get everyone involved and keep our spirits up, uh, being six hours into Stranded on the Tarmac. And then uh, the next day, the pilot had done an interview with Icelandic Air and uh, shared the video. And it was all over Icelandic news uh, and New Zealand news picked it up. And it was a really crazy, cool experience. And I had posted just a little snippet of that on uh, my TikTok. And a week into that, uh, it blew up and had like now it's over 2 million uh, views. Um, but it was all just absolute hate. It was very negative. It was telling me to that I should um, unalive myself, that they would have beaten me if they were in that situation. Yeah, it was. They were calling me a terrorist, comparing it to 9-11. Like it wow. was just, yeah. Very- this is crazy. So you're, you're on this plane. You've lifted the moods of people who have been stranded on this plane. The pilot asked you to play. Yes. But because people see a what? What was the video? 30 seconds, 60 seconds on TikTok, and it's completely taken out of context. Exactly. Like, and I will say for me, like, I had posted um, 
the wording on it, I had just said like basically stranded on a plane, uh, but luckily we had our instruments. So we decided to start a sing along and everyone ran with that. Instead of looking at anything else, they, they just assumed that I had decided to unconsensually play live music for everyone for 10 hours. And basically that I held people captive, which was not the story at all, but people had decided that that is what happened and just ran with it. <laughs> so what did you do when you noticed this started to go the wrong way? <laughs> well, the first time I saw it, um, it was at 90,000 views and I was just shocked. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And then when I saw the comments, it was like quite a shock because it was such a great experience and then like the complete opposite uh so the first thing I did was turn off my phone and and just kind of let it go for a bit because I was kind of really in shock and confused um and we were actually at a folk conference me and my band at this time too so we were preparing for showcases and all this stuff and I was like okay I need to take some time um but after a few days when it reached over a million views I was like you know what I I kind of want to make fun of this situation because they just decided that I've held these people captive. So at the folk conference we were at, Folk Alliance, um, we got a bunch of people in the elevator. I told everyone to look like they're not enjoying themselves. And I did the exact same thing. I played that same clip, did it the same way and posted online. And that is also now at 2 million views. And it's gotten a lot more uh, I will say more jokey comments now. Um, a lot of people were saying this is how you kind of get back at all this hate. Um, there was a lot of kind of fun at it. And it was now that I was laughing with them in that sense. Um, but I've also just been really talking about the awareness of how as artists, social media is the best tool to have to yeah. promote your music, to get out there. But it can also be a massive destruction in the sense of doing something and people taking it out of context and deciding this is a narrative. So we, we only have a, a few seconds left here. I really want to just know for people listening, what's the key message you really want them to know uh, before they jump onto things on social media? Well, first things first, get the facts actually look into someone's social media before commenting. Uh, the second thing is let's spread love. We're so into spreading hate and thinking that's funny, but let's just spread love. There's too much negativity in this world. We got to spread that love and that light and that kindness to each other. Well, I tell you, you made me smile today and I am so proud of you for fighting back on this and pushing back against this false narrative that's going around about what was something very, very sweet and nice. So uh, I want people to be able to find you and keep up with you and go find that TikTok and leave a nice comment. So where can they do that? <laughs> uh, so you can follow me at Jessica Pearson Eastwind on uh, TikTok and on basically all social medias. All right. Thank you so much, Jessica. Oh, thank you for having me. And Brody is back with another week of entertainment, and we're starting with The Quiet Girl. What an amazing film. It's Ireland's entry into the Oscars this year, and it stars um, little Catherine Clinch. She played the role when she was 11 years old, and it is phenomenal. She's in every frame just about. So she plays the fourth in a family of very poor Irish uh, farmers back in 1981, uh, her father's a drunk and a gambler. They have no income. Um, and 
so she's sent away to relatives who live in a really nice middle-class home. And there she's, she gets the kind of love that she's never experienced before. Um, they treat her so well. They are concerned for her. They, they don't really want her to go back. But after three months, she, she has to go back. So much happens in, in that period of time. Um, it's kind of breathtaking, the emotional power of this thing and how she, she begins to blossom uh, under, under care, under love, you know. When she goes home, um, her father, mother, nobody says hello to her, nobody kisses her. She's been gone all summer. It's just astonishing to think that this is the way people live. But, uh, you know, kudos to Clinch for this role. It's absolutely wonderful. And it's down at Tiff Bell Lightbox. Um, I have to say, visually, this movie looks stunning as well. Just watching the brief clip you sent me, I was just enraptured with it. It's just absolutely oh, beautiful yeah. uh, visuals. The Irish countryside, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very. All right. So, so what else do you got for us? Uh, well, The Confessions of Franny Langton, which is quite a radical uh, miniseries, a four-parter on Brickbox, and it concerns um, a woman who, an aristocratic woman who lives with her husband in a fancy house in Mayfair. Meanwhile, in Bermuda, a girl uh, called Franny is being in, uh, captured and taken over to this home in order to be a slave. Uh, she's taken by her white father, um, and she has no status in this home. The, in fact, the head housekeeper is incredibly racist and treats her badly. Well, she and the missus develop a very close relationship that soon, be, soon becomes sexual, and they're very much in love with each other. They, they, they have to sneak around a little bit, and you're a little concerned at, at one point when they're in a field in the open, um, but nothing comes of that particular thing. And there's a crime. There's a major crime. And I, they put it at the beginning of the film. But I don't really want to say what it is because it, it'll, it'll give it away. Anyway. Well, you know what, I, what I'll say about that clip, though, that you sent me was that it's giving me big Bridgerton vibes. Well, yeah, but it's a, the tone is completely different. It's, it's uh, anti-racism. It is uh, pro-woman. Um, it, it, like Bridgerton, it moves really fast, like grease lightning. And it's, it's of the period, but it's very serious and, and addresses these issues in ways that I haven't seen in a TV series before on a streamer. So there you go. It's on uh, BritBox, as I mentioned, and uh, it's on now. All right. Excellent. And you have one more for us today. What's that one? Oh my God, this is so much fun. And this is going to resonate with you because it's set in Ottawa. Oh, excellent. So it's, <laughs> it's about a group of friends who, very gender fluid friends, they all live in an empty cinema and they do nothing but watch genre films all the time. Um, it's it's full of great costuming. The drag queens are sensational. And they're all sort of part-time detectives and justice seekers and helpers in the neighborhood. It's really, at its heart, deeply silly and so much fun. 
it just made me smile. And you follow them through all their, their escapades and how they support one another. Um, and they'll stop at nothing to, to get their jobs done. And there's one character, oh, uh, the projector, sorry. He wears T-shirts all the time of different Asian celebrities, including Michelle Yeoh. Oh, who we so love, kind of- who we love. Uh, so just quickly, I just want to also mention, you, you haven't seen it uh, yet as we're recording this, but History of the World Part 2 from Mel Brooks. I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, my God, it's star-studded. And it's based on Mel Brooks' original film, which was insanely funny. So that's on Disney+. Plus. All right, that's coming out next week. Perfect. Uh, All right, Anne, thanks so much for joining me today. We'll see you back here next week. We'll see you next week. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming right up. And now, back to what she said. Here's Candace Sampson. I am thrilled to introduce you to my next guest, Brogan Ingram. With a background in psychology and a passion for cleaning, Brogan has become a leading voice in exploring the correlation between mental health and cleanliness. Her viral videos on TikTok, where she has amassed a whopping 5.2 million followers, has been a source of inspiration for many. Not only has she raised awareness and shared her knowledge on the subject through social media, but she has also been performing free cleanings in the Halifax area for those who are living in unlivable situations due to struggles with poor mental or physical health. Brogan's work is truly inspiring, and I am excited to have her join us today to share more about her journey and insights into the important relationship between mental health and cleaning. Welcome to the show, Brogan. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Your videos are truly addictive. I could sit on TikTok and just scroll for hours, but tell Mm -hmm. me how you got into this particular line of work. Well, I do have a background in psychology. I eight years of university under my belt. I always knew I wanted to help people. And quickly along in my university career, I learned how much my cleanliness of my home impacted my mental health and how I did in school. So I started to kind of tie that in. I brought a lot of my uh, work and a lot of my essay writings and you know all of my knowledge I could towards the correlation between mental health and cleaning. So once I realized how big the impact was that it could be on people, I knew it was like a calling to me. I knew that there was such a lack of research and knowledge that it was something I had to do with my life. So that's kind of how I got started with the whole background, but it was COVID that started my TikTok. I was home with my kids, I had some free time, and I wanted to reach out to the world. So I started my TikTok and I shared just little tips and tricks for cleaning here and there. And then I started to bring in more of the mental health and cleaning relations. And that's when it really blew up. Uh, People were really relating to it and loved it and were benefiting from it. So I just kept the ball rolling until I think I hit about 3.2 million followers. And that's when something shifted. I knew I had to do more. Um, And everybody was emailing me, asking me for help. I had thousands of emails of people sending me photos of their places, begging me just for advice or help of any kind. So I started a fundraiser to be able to pay maids and cleaners and whoever to go into these homes for people all over the world. Now, the downfall of that is that a lot of the cleaners were refusing the jobs because of the huge amounts of garbage and clutter in most of these homes. So that's when I took it upon myself to start doing the free cleanings in my area myself for free. It's 
extremely expensive to get these services in your home, even if you can get them in the area. So it was something that I felt was extremely important and that I had to start to do. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I watch these videos and the transformations are mind-blowing, but the initial, I guess, state that you find these places in is shocking. And I could see why most people might be hesitant, but you approach it with such empathy and compassion and um, in a state of non-judgment, where does that come from? Um, I think because of the lack of awareness in the world on why these things happen is probably the main point of why most people are judgmental to folks like that. Uh, they see it as laziness or people just choosing to be messy, uh, when in reality, there's always a backstory to it. There's always a reason why people are living like that. I don't think anybody in the world could choose to actively live like that and enjoy it. Um, I feel immensely for these folks. I am a very deep-hearted person. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm probably a little too uh, a little too much like that, but I would help everybody in the world if I could. And I just I feel for these people because to live like that, you're already going through so much. You don't need the outside judgment from other people. They're the folks that need the most amount of compassion and kindness. And honestly, they don't get that from others. And that's, I think, why they keep people out of their homes for so long and they're scared to get help. They don't want that, uh, the extra judgment. They're already judging themselves and they're already putting themselves down. So they don't need it from outside sources. Tell me then about some success stories. What's it like for people afterwards? Now, I've it's situational, so sometimes they do go back to the way they were before, and that's totally okay. I go into them again with no preconceived notion that they will keep it clean. It got that way for a reason. I don't expect their mental health to switch like a light switch overnight. So um, it does sometimes go back to those situations, and I have returned to homes multiple times to help them out again and again as many times as they need. But when I do get those success stories where people will message me weeks and months later saying how they've kept up with the cleanings and it was the fresh start that they needed and they just needed that, you know, the clean slate where it's not crazy overwhelming from whether it was poor mental or physical health or they went through a rough season of life or whatever it was that caused them to get to that overwhelming point, it gives them that clean, fresh start where it's a lot easier to wipe down a countertop than to completely, you know, take down a five foot tall pile of garbage or clutter. So it's definitely amazing to hear those success stories. And I have heard quite a few of them. It's been quite life changing for some folks. So with 5.2 million followers, I imagine the requests are insane. As you mentioned, you have thousands of email. How do you go through them and how do you choose who to help? Well, I try to travel here and there as much as I can. I have three small boys myself, so traveling outside of my main area is quite difficult, but I do try. Um, I have gone to, you know, Cape Breton, PEI. I even flew to Philadelphia for one cleaning, which was amazing. Um, but it's, you know, the list is absolutely never ending. I just try to look for people basically in my area, the closer to me, the better, but I triage all of my cases. So it's not a first come first serve basis. It's basically I take the worst case scenario or the worst situation and I help that person first because they need it the most. Or if it's somebody facing eviction or there's children in the home or an actual like serious physical illness. I've helped a few um, women actually who were battling cancer and were going through chemo and they just didn't have it in them to keep up their homes. So those kind of cases do typically come first. 
I can't imagine how you go out and clean these homes, keep your own house clean, when I know a lot of women just struggle keeping, you know, their space intact. So give me your best, what are maybe your top three best cleaning tips or organizing tips? Best cleaning tips. First, it's your mindset. First, it's always mental. Uh, we Typically, everyone has an unrealistic expectation of cleanliness and what they want their homes to look like. I think social media had a huge hand in that of everybody seeing, you know, those picture perfect photos on Instagram. And that's what you think your host should live like that. Meanwhile, whoever is taking that picture perfect photo, the rest of their host behind them that you're not seeing is probably not perfect, right? Not like that one little room. So I think the main thing is just to shift that mindset of, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to look the way you absolutely are picturing in your mind so that, you know, you're not setting yourself up for defeat. You're not resenting cleaning in general. Um, and also shifting your mindset to you're doing this for yourself. You're being your future friend by doing these things. You're setting yourself up for success. You're saving yourself the anxiety of the clutter and the overwhelm later, and it's helping you out. Now, physically, I always say to start small, look at the timer, do a five minute timer and just go for that. Don't set yourself up for disappointment. Don't say, I have to clean this entire place, this entire house. I have to spend five hours. You're going to resent cleaning if you do that, right? So start small, five minute timer. Normally, once you go and you get that momentum, it will keep you going. It's a snowball effect. So it's definitely start small, grab a garbage bag and start with the garbage. Just walk, if you have to walk room to room and just do the garbage. It's normally enough of the kickstart to get you going. So what's next for you, Brogan? I mean, you are taking over TikTok, you're growing, you're helping people. What's next? Uh, I have some things up my sleeve, some things coming. Uh, I can't share too much, but I am in the works of a project with Lionsgate Television. So we'll see what comes from that. And I am currently working on writing a book, just a short, little, nice, easy book for people to read through to help them. Um, yeah, I've got got a couple of really fun things coming in the future. That's for sure. <laughs> well, you're a delight. I, I'm obsessed with your videos. I want people to be able to find you and keep up with you because I think you're just going to be a massive, massive success. You're going to kick Marie Kondo to the curb. So <laughs> tell us, tell us how we can find you. You can find me on TikTok at not the worst cleaner and Instagram as well. Um, or you anybody's welcome to email me if they need help or anything like that. Just email not the worst cleaner at outlook.com. Well, listen, when that book is out, I want you back here. So get in touch with me. And thank you so much for joining me today, Brogan. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. My next guest is a thought leader on big issues women face, including gender equity and gender-based violence, women's poverty and the wage gap, girls' empowerment, and leadership. Paulette Sr., CEO of the Canadian Women's Foundation, joins me now to discuss the unique discrimination and systemic barriers that impact Black women and girls in Canada every day. Welcome to the show, Paulette. Thank you for having me, Candice. It's great to join you. So we talk a lot on my show, or we touch on a lot, about misogyny. But can you explain to me what misogynoir is? and how it manifests in Canadian society. Yeah, it really is a twist on what we already know and accept to be misogyny. But mis misogynoir is a term that was coined by Dr. Moya Bailey, who was a feminist scholar, writer, and activist, and professor at Northwestern University. And she used this term to refer to the unique discrimination against Black women, girls, and gender-diverse people. And really looking at that, um, what I call sort of a, a, a wicked, toxic 
effects of sexist and anti-Black stereotyping and targeting. So Black and other racialized women in Canada experience a greater gender pay gap compared to their white mm-hmm. counterparts. So can you speak to why this is the case and what, what can we do to address it? Well, I think the pay gap is one of the things that we know based on sort of race-based and disaggregated data is the data is telling us a number of things. So black women are paid less than white women and face bigger gender pay gaps because of longstanding issues. So women, who, black women stand at the intersection of many things. So it could be race, it could be ability, it could be you know, the, the impact of colonialism and also just the impact of being woman on top of all of that. And so uh, understanding that intersectionality is playing out in women's lives and the misogynoir aspect of it is that uh, there, there are aspects of, of misogyny that are directly impacting Black women disproportionately. So you mentioned, uh, you know, we, we talked sort of prior to this conversation about that there, we need to measure it to meet it. And so how are you measuring and where do you pull in data from? Well, we, we have to look at issues around, let's say, uh, where Black women uh, particularly are working. So let's say we know that, you know, let's look at the pandemic. The pandemic taught us a lot. We know who were the ones that were doing sort of the direct sort of face-to-face work around uh, keeping people safe. It, uh, it was primarily Black and racialized women, immigrant women. And, and we also know that those are the jobs where they're paid the least in terms of the, uh, of the important and essential work that they were doing. So looking, looking at that, but also looking at how the, the pandemic impacted them specifically, uh, not just in terms of them having to do several jobs to make up for one full-time job, but also what were their vulnerabilities in terms of to uh, contracting COVID-19 um, what were their health disparities? So really understanding how uh, the world in which they live and the intersections at which they stand based on their real life experiences. So getting it from, from, from health, getting it in terms of employment, understanding, you know, what are some of the systems? How are the systems impacting them? So if you look at, let's say, carceration, you know, looking at what happens to women who uh, are racially profiled and over overly incarcerated. It's black women. It's indigenous women, right? Based on uh, our existence or their existence in the population, uh, they're overrepresented in some of these these systems. We also know that black women are less likely to be taken seriously when you talk about gender based violence or their leadership capacity. Is that they're less likely to be taken seriously. And the other thing that we do know is that uh, Black women in particular are usually one and a half times uh, overqualified for doing the same jobs as white women. So we've just closed out Black History Month, and I feel the rush to the door as the media moves on to the next thing. So I want to know how we can continue to support Black women and girls in Canada, you know, what can my listeners do? I know that the Canadian Women's Foundation is doing a lot, but if people want to help at a grassroots level, just, you know, contribute and help, what can they do? Well, there are a number of things that we can do. We can actually work for better conditions, making sure that folks are working, have better working conditions, 
uh, for Black and gender diverse people. It's an important uh, focus uh, that we need to think about, especially for those who are working on the front lines of care and community services. One of the things that we've learned through data, for example, is that Black women in Canada are employed in health and social services at about uh about a third of the population of Black women are actually employed in these areas. So it's those areas that we know where they're taking care of people, right? These are care-based jobs and are tough and draining. And and many of them are low-paid or underpaid and precarious and performed in work spaces that are far riskier than other environments. So what can we do to improve those work environments? Employers can actually really take an assessment of what the conditions are that Black women in particular are facing and put in place levers to address that, you know, really understanding what their realities are. The other thing, of course, that folks can do is look at how you can invest in services and programs um, that are led by and focused on uh, Black women. Uh, It's, for example, at the foundation, we make sure that we are addressing this through our funding mechanisms or fund our grant programs. And we get fund we get support from the public and from corporations and 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 other sources to do this work. So we do an assessment and based on that assessment we know that 114 uh programs were funded by the Canadian Women's Foundation that were focused on serving black women and girls. And this is an important information for us in terms of our own work, as we as we critique what's happening in the general public, we ourselves have to take stock to see what we are doing uh, to address that, to ensure that the scope, uh, the scope of support that we're offering uh, needs to grow right across the country and across different sectors. Paulette, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. You're always a pleasure to have on. Anyone from the Canadian Women's Foundation is always welcome on my show. So I want people to keep up with you and all of the great work you're doing. Uh, so where can they connect? I encourage folks to go to our website, uh, canadianwoman.org, um, and learn about our work. We're doing a number of incredible initiatives. Uh, we are bringing folks together. We're doing all kinds of convenings. You can learn about the facts when it comes to gender equality overall. You can learn about intersectionality and you can learn about the different places throughout Canada that we're funding in order to support uh, women, girls and gender diverse folks. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Paulette. Thank you. Thanks for having me. More of What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up. And now, back to what she said. Here's Candace Sampson. All Women Lead is a community created with the intention of becoming a source of support for women in all areas of leadership. Its mission is to create a platform for growing networks, building relationships, learning, sharing, and providing a safer space for real, authentic, and vulnerable conversations about being a woman in leadership. Jennifer Slay is a registered social worker in the City of London, as well as a dynamic motivational speaker, certified life coach, therapist, author, and trainer, having earned an honors bachelor's degree in anthropology and social work, and a master's degree in social work. She joins me today to share more about All Women Lead. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you for having me, Candice. So, 
you are clearly a leader. Just reading your, you know, your brief <laughs> bio here, you're already a leader. But can you tell me more about what the All Women Lead community is and how it supports women in their leadership journeys? For sure. So All Women Lead, we we decided that we wanted to have a, a place where women were able to talk about what their experience of being a leader was. Because there's a lot of different places you can go to find out how to be a leader. But the experience of being a leader and that support network that's needed when you are a woman in leadership was not there. So we created it. So why is that support network so important, though, for women in leadership roles? Well, the, the issue is that sometimes when you are a leader, you can feel very alone, can feel very isolated. And so when you have that support behind you, you got that oomph to keep on going, right? And so that's what we, we wanted to do. So the community then that you're building, obviously you, you hold events throughout the year, correct? Is, is it four events throughout the year? Four events throughout the year, yes. Okay, and you've got one happening March 6th, right? March 6th for International Women's Day to celebrate that, yeah. Nice timing, lady, nice timing. Uh All right, so so you've got this (laughs) event happening, but what happens in between those events? What happens outside? Okay, well, we have a virtual community where people can interact on a daily basis. We have monthly luncheons. We have different topics of the month to talk about and, and chat about within the virtual community. So we try our very best to keep people engaged so that they're feeling that support. And what is some of the feedback you've received from people who've participated in these workshops with you? Oh, the- Amazing. It's been wonderful. My, the co-founder, Melissa Maloney, and I, we were astounded with the amount of uh, things that women are saying. This is just what I needed. Thank you so much. We so appreciate you doing this. And it, it's been wonderful. So tell me about the event then that's happening March 6th. For sure. So on March 6th, we're having a hybrid event. So you can come in person or online. And we have four speakers, a keynote speaker, Rita Goldberg, who has an amazing career with regards to um, creating uh, swim swim lessons and, and safety for, for, for individuals uh, in the water. And then we have other speakers, Amanda Kennedy, Rhonda Choya, um, Cynthia Nikanya, and it's going to be facilitated by Lorena Dixon. So it's a jam-packed event uh, with some amazing leaders in our community. So if people are listening like today and they want to jump in, is this a sold out event or can, because it's hybrid, can they still hop in from anywhere? They can hop in from anywhere. Uh, we still have tickets available. It's not sold out yet, but you know, here in London, we call it last minute London. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the first one, this is March 6th, so we're, we're getting in under the wire with this one, but uh-huh. when's the next one? The next one will be in June, and you can go to our website to find out all of the dates and the, for all of the different events that we have, as well as the luncheons and the different virtual events that we do. And so can you tell me then, are there businesses that are maybe sending you know, their employees who are in leadership roles to participate in this? Because I think this would be such a great fit. It definitely has been. We have uh, different from the different post-secondary institutions, as well as a lot of the different organizations here in London, they're sending their people. But we also, because it's virtual, we've had people purchase the uh, event for their International Women's Day celebration. So they will rebroadcast it with their employees. And that's throughout the country. Oh, that's excellent. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. So Here's my last thing then. So tell me then, because you said we have this little form that I send out to everybody. And, mm-hmm. and you said that, you know, living life authentically and with intention 
yeah. is so important. So mm-hmm. let's wrap this interview up and expand on that, please. For sure. So, you know, with All Women Lead, we want women to feel that they belong. They are supposed to be exactly where they are and they can have anything they want in their lives as long as you've got that support behind you to help push you and you have those cheerleaders behind you. And that's what we are. We're those cheerleaders to support, to provide education and just to go along that journey with you. Oh, you're speaking my love language, lady. A rising tide lifts all boats. So (laughs) let me share. Well, I won't share. You share, please, where people can find out more and either jump in on the March 6th event or maybe June. Yes, allwomenlead.ca. You go there and you can get access to everything and also the community, the virtual community. And if you want to email me, you can email me at info at jenslay.com. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson wherever you listen to podcasts to catch past episodes and extended interviews. I'll be back next week with more What She Said. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.